of his, his nose, which he absolutely doesn't need. It's, it's an iconic. It's to make him look smart. That's what he does. <laughs> it's the librarian look. It's, it's when you're in trouble and she looks over the top of her glasses and then you know you're in trouble because you're talking so does, too loud. Does this mean we're gripping reality if we put our glasses on? Is that how it works? Well, and that and the waving the glasses around, that's incredibly distracting when you're doing this kind of thing. Like right in front of the camera. It's really bad. I think it's like welcoming people to gripping reality today. No, it is not. Oh. We're trying to be we're trying to be academic. And is it working? No, it's not working. My well, side would be I... academic. <laughs> and you're saying my side's not? It's like having it's like having a pen, trying your pen. <laughs> or licking the end of it before you write. Who does that? Intellectual people do that. I have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> well, welcome right. to Gripping Reality with Mike and Mike, or Mike and Mike and Gripping Reality, whichever you like. Today, yeah. Need, must, should, or ought? Wait. Need, must, should, or ought? Yeah. Need, should, ought, or must. Oh, it's ought or must. That's the flow. Must yeah, it's need, ah, okay. should, auto must. And we don't use those words. I was listening to another inane political commentary on uh, the news today. And, of course, when you're watching this, that really makes no difference at all when you're watching. Because there was some inane political broadcast that was on your television or your uh, your technology today. Absolutely. And I am not kidding I will not name the broadcaster, but it's a worldwide known national broadcast. Every single sentence out of that person's mouth had the main verb of need. We need to, we need to, what we need to do, we need to, what we need to do is every single sentence. And then just fill in the blank at the end that the only thought was what we need to do. And the problem is it's not actually a need. It's an intent. It's a wish. It's a, a dream. It's a perspective. It's some kind of an angle. But it's phrased as what we need to do, making it equal to I need oxygen to survive. I need nutritious food and vitamins to make my body stay in sync. I need rest. I need uh, sunshine. Those are actual needs. Because without them, I'm not going to be able to function. But when we start using need as the main verb of virtually every sentence, which, by the way, preachers, which we happen to be, parents, which, <laughs> which we happen to be. Happen to be, yes. Yeah, which we happen to be. Uh, business people, which we happen to be. Author, right. everybody will use uh, preachers, politicians, teachers, parents, they, they use need as a main verb over and over and over. Need, should, ought, and must. And the question that always drives in my mind is, what is the response to someone who says, this is what you need, should, ought, or must do? It's guilt. It's shame. It's, uh, I failed. I didn't do it. I, I somehow missed that memo. Um, I did not do what I needed to do. I did not do what I should do. I didn't do what I ought to do, and I live in this constant state of failure. And the, the challenge then is to break out of that thinking, that the thinking itself becomes loaded with pressure, social pressure. 
that I, as the authority figure or as the top dog or as somebody who's issuing the commands, have laid out what needs should, ought, and must be done. And now me and you and everybody and people out of the view of the camera are somehow required to align with what I said is need, should, ought, or must. My organization has to do that. My company has to do that. My team has to do that. My family, my children, my neighbors, doesn't the people on the political extreme opposite me, people in my political, it doesn't matter. Need, should, ought, and must create this top-down sense of I'm in control and I'm telling you what has to happen. It's supposed to happen. It's got to happen. We have a bunch of words for it. The challenge yeah. then is, how do you break out of that thinking line? That thinking line itself is restrictive. And, and it's so common that that it'll even, if you listen carefully, it will slip out of my mouth on occasion, which you are adept at jumping on, <laughs> which is good. Well, as I should, yes. Because you never no. do that to me. You never do that to me. Right? No, you should not do that. that that's an example <laughs> of it right there. No. I really do, should. I ought to do that uh, every time. You, <laughs> you do not need to do that. You have no need. I, and I have I, no need for you I to do that. I must do that. <laughs> no. There's no obligation. There's no 11th commandment. Jump on East Coast Mike's words every time he lets slip a need should honor my. That is not in the Ten Commandments. I thought it was. So I, I just the question it. then is, how can you say anything? I have a friend who struggles with, she writes <laughs> memos for her company. She writes memos and she will be typing to a vendor and say, oh, she'll say what I need you to do. And then her brain is alerted to N-E-E-D. Those four letters come out of her fingers and it's like an electric shock goes off in her brain. And she says, oh, I'm not supposed to use the word need oh i'm not supposed to use the word supposed to and then she gets into this vortex of thinking that that funnels her down to the bottom of the pit because she can't get any word out of her mouth but what i need to do no what i should be wait a minute wait a minute um i have to think when i don't know she goes well, so how do you write anything how do you say anything to a vendor who did not send the right paperwork to you And then I so I suggested, well, what would make my job and your your supply much easier is when you submit the proper paperwork. Without the proper paperwork, I am not able to move forward. So you've said exactly the same thing without saying right. you need to send in paperwork in quadruplicate so I can do my job. It's like, okay, find another way of saying that. It's well, thinking. Have, it's a thinking process. You're right. And that's that in itself of what we talk about uh, substantially in all the stuff we're trained in the book of why do people act that way. Really, that whole area of motivation and how to have discussion, what that looks like. Um, we have devolved in our uh, in our society so much. I mean, we're seeing this huge in the election right now. I mean, we've always for years, I mean, you and I have been around a few years where, you know, election, there's mudslinging, there's all this kind of stuff that goes on. 
I, I would say though that in the last you know couple of cycles, particularly, we have uh, we've seen uh, this the aspect of character and devolving into a place of where there's virtually no dignity left to have even a uh, a, a dialogue. But those pieces of need, should, ought, and must, they are power words that evoke power, empowerment emotions to people where there is really no common dignity between individuals to be able to listen and to have a, a real discussion to get to the thinking and to get to the bottom line of what the thinking really needs to be because we've lost that sense of dignity. So how in the world the, the struggle then comes just like you're talking about this person trying to write, a, um, write, you know, why didn't you send me the right thing? You really should get your paperwork right. You need to do that. We don't think in the terms of the other person and what that's, what that's really communicating to them. We, 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 we no longer have that concept in our minds. And then we get frustrated when the other person responds emotionally, when you're just, you, you're, you believe you're asking a very simple question, but what you've done is you've just loaded this up by demanding something and not thinking through what that really looks like. And so you've charged this emotionally, uh, not even knowing that you've charged it emotionally by using those terms. And, but I, I understand how she, you know, how she would go, well, I don't even know how to write this question. I don't even know how to respond to this person um, because this is just the way we do business. You know, it's kind of like, interface kind of stuff all the time. I'm going, well, but what's that accomplishing for you? I mean, what's it doing to you? And how are you responding to all of this? Because when that comes to you, what do you do with that? And how do you respond to that? What is it you do with that? And <clears throat> I mean, I, we laugh and you and I joke a lot about the need should odd and must stuff. I don't laugh about that. That is extremely <laughs> serious to me. Do not laugh right now. Need, should, ought, and must are words that are as bad as cursing. And most of them, except for the word should, are four-letter words. And I treat them as four-letter words. Jeez. Ought is also not a four-letter word. It, it is if you Thank take you. the silent G out. Uh, <laughs> yes. I Oh, God, you're deplorable. Just, just, now, while Mike's laughing, just for full <laughs> disclosure, which is very important in podcasts, we are a few days ahead of the election in 2020. Right. However, except for the fact that this technology wasn't available in 1992, we could be talking about that election, or you might be watching this podcast in 2320, and we've been dead for 300 years, <laughs> and it's still going to be true. Politicians right. will say need, should, ought, and must. They have been saying this, I think, since 4000 BC, whenever <laughs> Moses ran for office uh, to head Israel. Need, should, ought, and must were 
the rule of conversation. That has always been true. Now, a few days before the 2020 election, we actually have no idea who's going to win. Two weeks from now, we probably still won't know who won. Exactly. And everyone will be arguing with no amount of dignity or respect for either side. A friend of mine wrote to me and said, what do you think is going to be the headline on the day after this election? And so friends were all posting in, Democrats landslide, Republicans pull a fast one at the end, the votes, you know, blah, blah, blah. They had everything. And I said, the number one headline is going to be, not my president is the top tweet for 2020. Because both sides, whoever loses, is going to pull that one out from 2016. And that is going to be not, this is not my president. I don't care if it's Biden that was elected or Trump was elected or a third party candidate was elected or we actually had no president elected. We decided to go without one for the next four years. The reality is people are going to pull that up and argue forever without having a sense of of dignity or respect or camaraderie or unity at all however need should ought and must are words that we want to eradicate from common usage i know it's never going to happen and we also do not say Never, ever, or always. Always, right. Yeah, we're back into another discussion. Skip that one. Stay on need, should, ought, and must. Right. Exactly. And that's 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 the the bottom line. Do we? You know, we talked about we talked about the whole aspect of of in our first first one talking about gripping reality and going to that to that diamond in the center of, if you look at our book, you'll see the, the, the graphic of four heads of PMB in, which is perceptions, emotions, motivations, and behaviors. And the middle is that diamond, that, that kind of Venn diamond thing of, uh, what is the reality? That's, that's where we get this from. Well, it's the, in the Venn diagram, it's the overlap of all four heads Correct. In and it's thing. actually so, not designed as a perfect diamond. It's really not right. exactly right because reality is always a little off. Right. And, the, so and the, the challenge is you can't tell which head contributes more into that little cinnamon diamond, but it changes all the time. It really, if I had the technology to do it, we would have made that thing pulsing and it would always be moving in and out because that's how it really works. Right. That's why it's so hard to get a hold of reality because you, you don't quite exactly know what it is. You got to use words no, it, to think it about changes. it. Correct. And so you, you you get into this this mode though. If we're <clears throat> if you're in the mode of using need, should, ought, and must on a consistent basis, or people around you that are in in power plays of telling you this is what you need to do, you should do this. I mean, we're it's everywhere right now, but it takes away, like I said earlier, it takes away the dignity of the individual to be able to even to have a, a thought that, that maybe there's something different here. Um, you keep telling me, so if I respond to that, 
and I don't think outside of that box, but if I am being belittled, I'm being denigrated, I'm being used, I'm being, you know, in or manipulated. Manipulated. Manipulated is have, a good word, yeah, to put in there. Right, because now I've been manipulated. I've become a, a part of a tribe because I want to belong. So I'm so that whole side of me is being used, if you will, <clears throat> from the standpoint of of wanting to participate. But then when I'm belonging, then I'm being manipulated at this level where I'm told I need to do this, and boy, you must do that, and whatever those those kinds of things are within that tribe. Then what do we do? We talk about that's what happens in motivations when you no longer are having discussion, you no longer are open in opinions of being able to move fluidly from one place to the next, but we you become fixed in your culture and you are living within this culture. So now you've developed this aspect that's, you know, us and them. Oh, by the way, you guys need to do this because we know what's best. And so there's no longer any discourse or real dignity in common discussion that's going across our country. And, and it is causing significant issues, but it's causing huge emotional issues in people right now, because not only do we have this wonderful thing going on called the election, you know, which we are in 2020 and is we're also dealing with this thing called COVID-19 and all of the ramifications that go with that and people are exhausted. And that's that's the part I'm seeing is that we people are are struggling and now they have this whole aspect of uh, the intensity of the last month where I mean, you're right. You turn on the turn on any kind of uh, political kinds of things, and it's about you need to do this. You need to do this. You should do this. You must do this. You, you know, I mean, just the vote, <laughs> just the voting. I mean, have you seen those things? The oh yeah. That, you know, that everybody. And here, here should... on the East Coast, the lines are four blocks long and going around the corner, and people are standing. Yeah, they bring you... their lawn chairs so they can go moving along socially distance at six right. feet and the lines go all the way down the street right and for early must. voting and you must yeah you must you must you must you must vote you must be i mean i've heard one that says i this blew my mind i mean it's it's a big one and i'm not going to say the company but it, the line is it's the most important thing you will ever do in your life is to vote i'm like really <laughs> That is the most important thing I will ever do is to vote. Does anybody think like I do of like, can we stop and talk about that phrase for just a moment? Because the whole aspect behind that is that you get out there and vote. You need to vote. You need to vote. You need to vote. I am not against voting. I'm all for it. But when we raise it to the plane in our life that says this is the most important thing that you can ever do in your life, I'm going, okay, there's the always, ever, you know, everybody. I mean, I, I'm like, okay, 
what is this doing to people emotionally? You know, and there, we're showing pictures of people who are being shut in and they can't get out and making sure everybody's safe. And, and at the same time, we're telling everyone, if you don't vote, boy, you must have no significance in your life anymore because you didn't vote. Well, I, I think one of the one of the ways that we've tried to capture in in language is what intuitive people have a, a sense they they have an awareness of how motivation works. They can anticipate their own motivations, their own actions, and they can anticipate the actions of others. What we've tried to do is put that into <clears throat> language that allows for. Uh, a person to be able to think through and have a, 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 a clear mental picture of what's going on in motivation. What we did was we set up five drivers. There, of course, are thousands of mixes, the variables that go into uh, the five drivers. is There are many, many, many variables. I understand that. But if we don't have some kind of a mechanic or a device that allows us to simplify something incredibly complicated, it becomes virtually impossible even to think about it, much less talk about it. So we put it into five separate drivers and the variable between the drivers is how flexible or how fluid that driver is. The first one, conversation or thinking, using your words, you've made no commitment, you don't have a decision, it's still up on the table as to all the factors. We call that driver one, and it is the most fluid. The outcome has the greatest amount of variableness um, because the decisions haven't been made. No commitments have occurred yet. The second one we call opinion or viewpoint. It's more fixed, but it's still subject to influence by conversation, new facts, um, uh, engagements with others, all those kind of things. Viewpoints still can change, and it's relatively easy to change a viewpoint or an opinion. The third one is values, and this is where we begin to get into the advertising and promotional campaigns that has to do with your vote is the most important thing you're ever going to do. Values are what's important to me, and I will try to act in keeping with what is my value, my what is important. The challenge, we made that third because values can be in conflict with each other. What right. One of the big issues that uh, we're facing right now is the multitude ways in which the democratic platform is different in both substance and in uh, appearance to the Republican platform, the issues that are being brought up and the stakes that are being made, not necessarily what they actually will do, because that has to do with laws and Congress and people and I mean, I don't know, but it, but what's presented. So there are times at which a person will say what the Democrats offer in this major area is incredibly important to me. That is a very high value in my life. However, there are also these aspects of the platform that violate my values. On the Republican side, people say, I really do value this, but I really hate that. And now 
you're in a place where I've got to take an action. So is my action for the Democratic platform or for the Republican platform? Or is my value against the Democratic platform or against the Republican platform? Or is it following the Democratic candidate or running away from the Democratic candidate or following the Republican candidate or running away from the Democratic candidate? And when you have those values that now create friction, they're now in conflict with each other, eventually one value is going to rise to your top of the stack. And a person will say, who gets selected for the Supreme Court? That is absolutely my number one value because of this factor, this factor, this factor. Who can deal with COVID and make the country come together with a sense of unity and purpose to arrive at the greatest health for the most number of people. That is my number one value. Getting the economy going again. Getting disenfranchised people to have a place to table. Pick a value. Eventually, one gets to the top. And on that value basis, you'll take an action and vote. The struggle that many people have is, I, I don't want to vote. I don't, I don't like either candidate. I don't right. like either platform. Right. I don't want to follow either one. I don't want either one of them to be in the, in the executive chair. Then the commercials come on and say, the most important thing you can do in your entire life is vote. So you get into the booth and you look at and say, I'll vote for my local dog catcher all the way up to my state representatives. I'm not voting for anything national because I can't stand either party. Or I'm going to just pick one. Bing, let's go with that. The challenge that, or I'm going to vote for a major party candidate, but I'm going to vote on the 19th line they're on all the way down to make my voice heard that this is, I want working families or I want Green Party or I want, you know, the Communist Party or whatever I want. And so I'm going to vote for that person, but I'm going to vote way, way down so they can't count me as Democrat or Republican. That becomes one of those great issues. But the values is what they're trying to promote taking an action on right the fourth one we said is habit and we get into this need should ought and must that really has become comfortable habit exactly people say i I just say it just rolls out of my mouth because how else do you talk it's just the way i mean i'm i just always shoot it off is okay address your own habits Right. Sit in a different place in your house. Don't sit at the same place at the table. Don't drive the same way to work. Don't stand in the common line that you do in the grocery store. Make a change in your habits so you you address your own preferences right. and make sure that they actually do reflect who you are and what you want. So that's right. more, habits are more fixed than even values are because you do them over and over and over. And finally, culture, or what we call identity, when a person makes an I am fill-in-the-blank statement, they are describing their culture. One of the fascinating uh, tests that I do when I go out and and teach at times is to say, okay, we're going to be talking about some very interesting issues, but here's what I would like you to do. Take out a piece of paper or back back of your hand or whatever you got and fill in this blank for yourself. I am a or an, I am a blank. Put in what you, what you fill in that blank. 
And I'll tell you why when we're done with our talk. And, and I'll have people do that. And so they'll say, I am a parent. I am a Republican. I am a Christian. I am a Muslim. I am a Easterner. I am a canoeist. I'm a cyclist. Whatever they put, they put some word in there. That I am statement is a description of their culture. So then a follow-up question, they say, I'm a cyclist. What does that mean? I ride my bicycle. I'm really into health. I've got all the equipment. I've got the spandex. I've got the headlight. I mean, my bike's all outfitted. I spent $5,000 on it. I'm really deeply invested in this. If you were not a cyclist suddenly, you rip your knee out and your surgeon says, you're off your bike for six months or forever. You got uh, bone cancer and you'll never ride again. Now, who are you? And that becomes a huge struggle when a person has said for years, I am a machinist. I am a teacher. I am a minister. I am a surgeon. And then you come to retirement or for some reason your job changes and that concludes and you get up the next day and say, I am a, I am a, I don't know what I am. I used to be a surgeon. Right. I used to be right. a right. recycling uh, caregiver, but now I don't know who I am. And the loss is not just the job. The loss is right. my entire culture. It's my identity. Right. So that, right. and we regard that one as the most fixed, the right. least likely to change. It can be changed, but right. it's the least likely to change. And what's fascinating about that is <clears throat> because I've, in my own life, you know, I've had some, some changes in the last <clears throat> year or so. And what I have observed with particularly people in our generation um, that, you know, I can say, well, that's a generalization, but I, I, I think that there is a, a significant amount of this that holds very true is that very thing of where the identity slash culture has been their world of work. What I see happening with, with uh, folks is that they keep trying to go back and reclaim that world. They're doing it in a different way, but they hang on to that, try to hang on to that identity. Uh, and, and they do it in a pretty fascinating way. Um, uh, with men, particularly, I see this because I, you know, I meet with, with guys uh, quite frequently for breakfast. <clears throat> And before COVID and all that stuff, we were going to restaurants, and you've seen this too. But in the morning, I'd go to restaurants, and what what do you see? You see all these old guys, if you will. They're called they Romeos. That, they're Romeos. Is that what they call? Retired Romeos. old men eating out. <laughs> That's good. Did and you the, just come and up the with women that? who do it? No, and the no. Haven't you ever heard that? Where have no. you lived under a rock? And then no, and that's the old, women. That's got to be old no, school from the East Coast. The man. women who do it, the the women who do it are called rodeos. 
retired old dames eating out. So the rodeos sit at one table and the Romeos sit at another table. You've never heard that? No, I've never heard that. I knew my calling in life was to give you a life. So that, that contributes. Hey, but you've never heard of blowing out the irrigation lines either. So what can I say? No, I never heard that. Who does that kind of thing? Good grief. The people who live in eastern Washington. Anyway. It's fascinating to watch these guys because what I see them trying to do is reclaim that identity and keep that identity going. Oh, absolutely. And they are, and then I see them, uh, I see them individually out in the community, you know, at some place and it's like, they are lost. They, they, they they're lost, right. They're lost because they have that culture and they're keep trying to reclaim that culture. Um, and they they're they don't understand what they have done and to move because that is the most inflexible aspect of motivation when we talk about those things is to come to understand that you have got yourself locked into an identity a culture that has become very very fixed so the question is what you know, what is it doing to you and what are you going to do about it? And do you like what it is doing to you? Um, and, you know, I think, again, it's back to what we were talking about. Really beginning to put language to what's happening to me. Um, I think in our generation, there are so many of these folks out there uh, I hope that, you know, are, are hearing this or will hear this, they realize coming to grips with that reality that you are in a fixed place. And the question is really the very real question is, what is this doing to you? How do you like what this is doing to you? Is this really where you want to be in your life? Because you can change that, but you have to first start grabbing hold of that and realizing your identity is has and your culture is so fixed, it's driving everything that's going on in your life, virtually everything that's going on in your life. And if you, you know, if you don't grab a hold of that and start understanding how that is causing certain things emotionally in you life is not going to probably be very full for you in the end because you have your that that fixed identity is going to be narrower and narrower and narrower as other people that were in that community and in that world move further and further and further away from that fixed identity that you have in that culture you have. So it's it's coming to that understanding and then saying, well, wait a minute, I've developed these habits that really have fixed my identity and my culture that I live in. I need to reassess. There's the word need. I would like to go back and look at reassessing my values and my opinions because what's happening to me right now is not good. And I, I, I think that what people don't understand 
is there, and you and I talk about this frequently, is they're not looking at the long game. All right? I don't care if you're 65, 75, or 85, you still have a long game in front of you because you have no idea what that's going to look like. You know, you may right. be 65 and live to 105. Well, that's 30, you know, that's 40 years. So what right. is the long game? At the well, end, the, the challenge then is to what, what are the boundaries of the long game? Because a person can say, I'm a homeowner on Main Street or on North Avenue. doesn't pick a name of the street you're on. And you've been there for 35 years. You've cut the grass, you've maintained the property, you've paid the taxes, you've painted the bedrooms, uh, you put in countertops, you changed the uh, windows. You've done that for years and years and years and years. And it's not just merely, I own a home on this street, but right. I am a homeowner. Right. And, and now that's my definition. But when you have to downsize and go to an apartment, if in your brain you're still saying, I'm a homeowner, oh, no, I'm not. I'm a renter. I always right. distrusted renters because they're kind of nomadic and they have no commitments. Right. Now I don't trust myself because I'm in the category that of a group of people that I felt didn't have good roots. Well, the, the way I've defined who I am, my <laughs> culture now has been shifted or I'm a parent or a grandparent. Matter of fact, for the next podcast, Let's talk about parenting because the issue has to do with when I see myself as a parent of one, two, three, four, five, whatever number of children are growing up in my home, I define my culture, the idea of a soccer mom or the classroom right. dad. Right. And now when my children grow up and become adults, right. but I'm still stuck in... I'm someone's mom. I'm someone's dad. Right. Now you have a culture that you must continue to force your children back into the child role so that exactly. you can be the parent. Exactly. But we're not going to talk about that one today. We're going to talk about that one next week. And that, and that is a huge, huge issue, which it's gigantic. Yes, I would like for us to spend time because I work with these 20 something young men all the time. And I, and in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm writing essays that hopefully someday will turn into somewhat of a book uh, that deals with that very issue. Uh, and I think also, I mean, if, if we're, we're going in that, I mean, we, we have that understanding is that if I see myself as I am a mom, I am a dad and parenting issues at that level, let's, let's take it one step deeper is what do you do if that is, and we, we can, we'll address this next time, I think, is it, what do you do if that, um, if you see yourself as I am a husband, okay, and your wife dies, now what? Or right. I see myself, I see myself as, as a mom and your only child gets cancer and dies. Now what? Are you gonna? Are you gonna? I mean, I mean, we we can have that. You and I have had significant experiences on all of those levels, or significant other, or wherever you want it. But when we, you know, that identity becomes fixed at that level, then we'll talk about. Yeah, let's talk about that next time and how that works itself out emotionally. 
I think that that this whole thing, though, I mean, in, in having to do with identity and helping people assess where they are in that whole level of those five areas in their life, particularly right now, as we look at emo- as we look at the elections, we look at, you know, I mean, let's face it, a significant amount of the country has already voted. And yet there's a still significant amount of the country that hasn't voted. And hopefully this will get posted before then. But I, um, dealing with that whole aspect of are you willing to look at where you are? Are you at that fixed identity that won't even begin? Not that I think you need to change your vote. This isn't about pushing for anybody. That's not the issue. The question really comes is, have you gotten so locked into this this fixed identity and culture because of that aspect of being there where it feels like you belong, you, you belong to this larger picture, you, for whatever reason, that's where you want to be or you've decided to be, but really you have not taken the time to step back because so much of what's been put out consistently, constantly, you know, multiple times a day is you need to do this and we must do this and we must be against this and we need to take this and make sure that you you should do this and you ought to make sure. I mean, those words are the words that <clears throat> really push people more and more and more into that inflexible identity and culture that makes us get into a tribal mode because that's where that happens at that level. So my question then come back is, and we've talked about this, but how can we help people maybe step back and begin to move in a direction that moves them farther back up, if you will, in the scale of being more flexible in their thinking what are those pieces that we really would like to help people see? But you sometimes the idea of having every part of my identity be more flexible is really not our objective. It is perfectly fine to have an identity that is locked in place. It is absolute culture for you. And I'm saying that's fine. You may, however, find that there is an amazing amount of stress when factors beyond your control impinge upon your cultural identity, who you are, and how you see yourself in the context of the world, so that what formerly was incredibly comfortable, very engaging to your sense of self and the way in which the world is working for you now all of a sudden has immense friction and stress. So what I'm saying is when it becomes um, between uncomfortable and overwhelming and a person says, I don't know how to resolve these conflicts in my life. I don't know how to reduce the friction. It's starting to tear me apart. What we want to be able to do is give some tools that say, Take what's rigid and start addressing it as more flexible in your life. Talk about these matters as increasingly flexible. Give me an illustration. 
So um, I have a friend who just retired from pastoral ministry. And he's in his late 60s. He has been a pastor, whether you appreciate Christianity or not. It's a very life-consuming, 24-hour-a-day engagement, like being a medical, uh, high-level medical person or uh, an officer of the law or many other occupations are not just you walk in, punch your clock, and walk out and, and get your paycheck. It is really something that is consuming. And for 45 or 50 years, this individual has gotten up in front and spoken a message, counseled people in crises of their life, been an individual around town that had influence and recognition, and then retired. Big party, gift, nice watch, clock on the mantelpiece, uh, uh, cruise with his wife, uh, going somewhere you know special. And then after it's all over, I don't have anywhere to go. I got all my books and stuff out of the office. It's not my office anymore. It was for 30 years in that same building. I could uh, put the key and the lock in the absolute dark. I know exactly where to throw my hat and get it on the hat rack because I've been there countless times. It's who I am. And now, all of a sudden, I, I don't even exist. I don't exist anymore. How do I know who I am? And the problem is I can't tell my wife because my wife was a pastor's wife for all those years, but she always kind of kept one foot out the door, so to speak. And I was very critical of that. But now I understand she's in a much better place than I am because she has an identity other than the church person. And I don't. Mm -hmm. The question is, how I, I get up day after day after day, and I'm falling backwards into this slow of despond, this terrible pit of unhappiness and, and exhaustion. It's not just depression. I'm not just depressed. I don't need an antidepressant. I've got to somehow figure out who am I now. And so in the conversation, we only had a chance for one brief conversation. I laid out five drivers. And I said, you have consigned a significant part of your very identity, your core, to this job, which is important to do. It's why you can get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and have the energy to race to a traffic accident scene to be with a family or an outreach. That's why you do it. And you can do it year after year after year. Right. Right. But now... Finding ways to move from that extremely solid bedrock up into what are your values about this? What are your actual habits? Can you build some new patterns that change your identity and build some opinions that aren't based on the role that you played? That's really interesting. <laughs> I really should do that. <laughs> and I remember saying, should. Okay. And it's like, I wasn't quite sure. We were in passing, so I couldn't delve into all the need should automize. It would have been really crushing and, and communicated. I really don't care what you're talking about. I got an agenda to dump in your lap and then I'm leaving. And I don't want to do that. 
So, so the challenge was how do we take this particular moment and have one tool, one little piece that says, you know, there's hope for me, isn't there? That was really my objective that when you take your culture, your culture is now changed. You planned for this. You thought about it for years. You've been looking forward to all the things that you can do when you're retired, but it's not as easy as I turned in my keys. uh, I hung up my stall and now I'm ready to go off and golf or do whatever I do. It's not as easy as that. So here's the hope. You can do it. Right. Not you should. You can. You can. And here's, and that's different. let's, Let's, let's broaden this out because I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, obviously the, this is how we talk all the time, but this identity is, there's nothing wrong with solid identity. I, I totally uh, agree with that. It's the very thing you're talking about where that becomes disrupted in a way that you are now find yourself floundering and you don't understand why. You don't understand what that really is. And here, you know, unless we, Let's we sound like two old guys dealing with all these folks that are our age. Let's 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 flip it down a little lower in life, okay? Because one of the things I see and all the time and some of the stuff that I work in currently as well in the past is that you have young people, particularly some of the worst time in the life for a young person is that that time frame from June until September when they graduate from high school. And why is that? Because their whole identity for what, 12, 13 years has been this thing called school that all of that now they came to a place of where they were on top of the heap and the world was their oyster and yada, yada, yada. And now they have what? Okay, but but broaden it out even from that, Mike, because they let's say they went through 13 years of school, but all those years who did they admire the most that individual who did they right. it was the senior the senior right. was the person who right. walked on water exactly. the senior had the special exactly. locker the senior had all these special exactly. events now they've become a senior and then they graduate and now who are they so for exactly. all the years That's it the wasn't point. just i had the the school was my oyster and i got a pearl out of it now could be i'm a student I do what I'm told from my teachers. I turn in papers. I study right now. So that could be their identity. It could be I went to this high school of pride and I'm uh, my mascot and that's who I am. And now you find somebody who's 24 years old. They still have their high school class ring on and they're still wearing their high school uniform. And it's like, didn't you stop six years ago? Right. Being that mascot named. Right. I mean, who are you now? Oh, you know, this is this is who I am. Right. Now, alumni associations depend on people having that emotional bond so that they donate and they participate and they come back. And I mean, I'm approaching my 50th high school reunion. I'm getting all that stuff from my alumni association, from a high school I haven't been back to since the day I walked out the door right. with my diploma right. in my hand. Right. The, so the, but they depend on creating right. that sense of you cannot get away from who you are. Right. And right. you and are. That, 
Right. Our that, school. And that aspect then continues on in young people's lives as they move into their 20s and as they begin to try and establish identity. And, they, and, and some of the upheaval in that is the fact that they may establish their identity, whether they go on to university or college or they have a job, and then that ends and changes. And now they're left adrift because they don't have that anymore. They don't know what to do with that. Same thing for people who are in their 30s or 40s. Uh, it can happen to any of us where that right. identity becomes who I am and that identity shifts. And that's, you know, I think that has a lot to do with the angst and the emotional. If we could, you know, while we talk about depletion and fear, the exposure that's happened because of COVID, because people's identity, they were forced into a shift of identity that they weren't yeah. comfortable with. So now I have to be stay-at-home dad or stay-at-home mom because I can't go anywhere. Wait a minute. That's not who I am. So emotionally, we're struggling with, you know, how that is working in and through us as we deal with that culture that's now driving the emotions that are going on because my identity is being challenged all over the place. I don't know what to do with that. Right. And it's really not true of just two old guys like us. I mean, what we're trying to right. do is communicate things that we have learned over the last, whatever, a few decades, um, which apply across the board in everyone's life. So exactly. when I graduated from high school, I ran into a couple of people that I knew from high school days and the absolute worst case scenario was a kid who had been the star quarterback in his high school that was now post-college still wearing his high school uniform and with his trophies in his own home on the mantelpiece from when he was a star quarterback. He could not walk away in his own right. mind from right. being a star quarterback, which right. is exactly why I never became a star quarterback in high school <laughs> because I did not want to struggle with that later on. The fact that I'm only five foot eight and any linebacker coming in would have put me in the hospital in traction and I couldn't make a football go more than 10 yards without being intercepted has nothing to do with it. It was the risk of being the star quarterback at the age of 29 and having no life whatsoever because I can't get away from that culture. That is why I never became a star quarterback in, in high school. All right. And this for today, though... let's wrap it up. Okay. Stop laughing at me. I am being very serious right now. For some reason, you find that funny. You... I think something about the chest. My advice chest to you young people out there mind. is do not become a star quarterback. It's like, you will have an awful the chest life team. when you're 20-something. Yes. <laughs> or the head oh, cheerleader. God. Or scoring a soccer goal. Don't do it. When you have the chance, kick it to the side because you're going to struggle in your 30s. I can't kick on goal anymore. And that is an awful, awful place to be.
this, all right. Enough is for this today. the same? I gotta go. Huh? I know. Is this the same? Is this the same idea that really you should always get an A minus so you don't don't get a should? Yeah, should you sh no? You get an A minus. You get an A minus intentionally because if you're the smartest kid in the room and then you go where there's people smarter than you, your entire identity collapses. If you always got an A minus, there's at least one person smarter than you. You can just breathe easy yeah. Yeah. and say, I'm not really dumb, but I'm not really smart. I'm just okay. I'm okay. And it works. All right. So where are they gonna where are they gonna email their questions to? Uh, they can send either to Mike with a Y or Mike with an I at grippingreality.com. Mike, right. hey, either one of us. All right. Mike or Mike, spell it any way you want. Just don't spell it with a G. Uh, right. At <laughs> gripping reality, that you spell with a G. If you're if you can't figure that out, don't send us any <laughs> questions. Because I don't want to hear a question from somebody who can't figure this out. Mike or Mike, doesn't matter. Don't put Mike or Mike at Gripping Reality. Put Mike at Gripping Reality. Mike at Gripping Reality. One or the other. One or the other. We'll, get, we'll it. get it. All right. We'll get it. Hey. All right. Sign off. See we might not do man. anything with it, but we're going to get it. All right. That's right. See ya. Okay. Bye. Oh, and he